It's Tennessee Titans talk. And Landon, I still don't feel like our free agent class is complete. It's been about a week. Still no word on key free agent coming back for us and then kind of a big fish we've got out there. What's your theory on Jadavian Clowney, just not even as it pertains to the Tennessee Titans, but just overall? Well, I feel that he's made his decision. He's identified the contract offer he likes. It's not what he wanted. I doubt he's getting 20 plus million a year. It's likely to be a short-term deal. But the issue is with the coronavirus, the NFL banned teams and players from traveling to conduct physicals. It has to be done locally. If a, if a team and a player can't decide on a guy local to that player to conduct a physical, then it's going to get hampered in. With a guy like Jadevian Clowney, who's got such a extensive injury history, a physical is very important for teams who are going to be investing top-tier defensive player money into them. They're going to want to see the physical make sure it checks out. And because they can't, it's really just dragging the process through the mud. And with Logan Ryan, there's rumors that he's not back with us yet because we're waiting on what Clowney decides. Because if we get Clowney, we probably can't match Logan Ryan's demands. Then he walks. But if we lose Clowney, we're likely to bring back Logan Ryan. That's been my assumption. I know Logan Ryan has said, you know, he wants to continue to make what he's worth, but he's obviously his first choice is to be here, and he's kind of waiting to see what happens. Clowney is, I think, picking between the Jets and the Seahawks and the Titans. Do you think there's a surprise team there? I don't really think so. Indy could be in play, but they've already made one big-time splash with DeForest Buckner. And those two would fit together, but I think they want to carry over some of their cap space and keep it open long-term to where they have the opportunity, like they did with Buckner, to trade for an established star rather than paying for a guy who's a, who's a bit overrated relative to his contract. Like DeForest Buckner, you can argue, is worth $20 million a year. But Jadevian Clowney doesn't impact the passing game enough to be worth that much, and he can't stay healthy enough. So otherwise, we're just kind of waiting on that and the draft which as of right now is going to go on as scheduled. I think the NFL sees an opportunity to be the only show in April and they just cannot pass that up. It's going to be really unique. It'll be, I'm sure, in offices they'll have to do from a production standpoint, some unique things, but people are going to be chomping at the bit for any sort of content, right? I would think ownership and especially front offices are really pushing back because they'd like more evaluation eventually one-on-one time. And what's the hurry if we don't know when the season is going to be to add these guys? But I think it's all about having a captive audience at the end of April. Oh, absolutely. The teams are pushing back because they have hardly met with anyone outside the combine. They can't conduct in-person private interviews like they usually do. And for a lot of these teams, this is going to be new ground with how they're going to have to handle their draft day strategy because they can't meet in person. Gatherings of so many people have been banned. Team war rooms have over 10, 15 people at minimum, all making their input into the decision-making process. It's going to have to be online for a lot of these teams who haven't always adapted with the times in terms of technology as soon as it changes. It's very new because for forever it's been. We're physically in a room. We've got a board that's physically there. We're talking about things we're physically discussing. And now we have to do all this digitally online, all in our own houses. What Landon and I are going to do is talk about the mock drafts that we've seen thus far. We've got right at a month before the NFL draft. And these mock drafts have a lot of variants. And then right towards the very end, I think get some intel from teams and they're they're kind of, they get closer. Right now, we've been following this for years and years. You'll see a guy projected to go first, he'll go in the third. A guy's projected to be a third round, go in the first. Teams like them and hide that fact. 
not that we're going to put so much stock in these guys, Mel Kuyper, these guys are wrong all the time. There's very little accountability to these, but it does give us kind of a litmus test. You're going to hear as a fan several of these names. We want to go through uh, each of the major mock drafts, see what player they have going to the Titans. And just so you'll, if nothing else, be more familiar with that player, some talking points, because a lot of these guys, I mean, we follow college football. I'm sure most of you do too, but you don't know who's playing left tackle for Boise State. I mean, you just don't. So I'll give you the rundown on him, and Landon will we'll give you his scouting. And then Landon will talk about some players that he likes maybe for the end of the first. Picking 29th is interesting because 28 other teams can go in any direction. We've seen that. So it's just hard to say if we'll move back or move up or who's going to be there. You see a lot of teams in the last five years pick for need at the end of the first. That does mean they're picking, I think, from maybe... 50 guys, because we see a lot of guys of need come in and, wow, I didn't know he would go, but they wind up being good players. Landon, let's start with Mel Kuyper and also Michael Rinder from Pro Football Focus. They picked a bit of a combine breakout star, Ezra Cleveland. Boise State's tackle. He's a four-year starter. This guy has, to me, more of a Civil War general name than he does uh, NFL player name. Ezra Cleveland, Boise State, six foot six, 311 pounds. This guy really was more of like kind of a third-round guy. This guy looks the part, but boy, he went to Indianapolis and just kind of showed out, right? Yeah, Cleveland is a guy where the term workout warrior is perfectly apt to what he is. He had a 49340, a 30-inch vertical, 111-inch broad jump, killed both agility drills and he's like you said he's six foot six 310 he moves well you can see it on tape he's very comfortable in his body compared to some of the other guys in this class he knows how to move and my only issue is one he's a left tackle he always played left tackle and we have taylor lewan so if we're drafting any tackle they're gonna have to be expected to play right tackle two he had a turf toe injury in his senior year and like we saw with jack conklin offensive tackles with reoccurring injury histories are just frustrating and debilitating to a team because you lack the offensive line continuity. And three, this is the absolute biggest thing to me. He's just not that strong for an offensive lineman. That's something you hardly ever see because they're generally the biggest people on a football team. He's a big guy, but he's not strong. He gets pushed around a lot. I don't know if it was just his turf toe injury meant he couldn't confidently plant his leg. He couldn't push off. He couldn't generate the power he needed or he's just not built enough for it. He kind of reminds me of Garrett Bowles in that regard. A good athlete, but he lacks strength. And Bowles has really struggled adjusting to the NFL because strength is something pretty much every defender has. If they can just use that strength over and over and over, you're never going to win. And Garrett Bowles is a penalty machine. He's been a bust. With Ezra Cleveland's, there's potential for him to fix this issue. He can put on weight. He can get stronger. He can get healthier. But my question is, how many offensive linemen that we're seeing as weak in college shed that label and become strong in the NFL. I think it's most of the guys that weren't big-time prospects that just needed to get bigger and did. This guy put up 30 reps on the bench press. I think there's strength there. You're right. He he doesn't look like a, a fridge out there on tape, but he's got really good tape. Do you want a guy who doesn't quite have the feet or the arms or the athleticism? You can't really teach that, but you can get somebody in the weight room and you can teach them leverage. There's some risk there. I think this is a little rich for Ezra Cleveland. We have seen, I mean, look at last year's draft and the year before. After 20 especially, there are so many 
many teams that do not have good offensive linemen. These guys are not growing on trees. This big, play the position. You'll see him come up more early second round. Mel Kiper says, hey, I saw you at the combine. I went back and looked at his tape. So it's not like he he was just a dog at Boise State. And he's kind of got that J-Rob. He likes guys that played for, you know, a lot for three or four years. And so he, he does kind of look like J-Rob in there, but he looks more like if he somehow is still around, like a Dalton Reisner hung around quite a bit uh, to like the 40s last year. I could see us maybe making a move there for him. I think he can move to right tackle. Either way, he's going to have to get stronger. So probably any Titans fans had any clue who that was. Ezra Cleveland. The next guy, I think more of us know, Todd McShay has Andrew Thomas, offensive tackle from University of Georgia. Played a long time at Georgia. He's sort of gone downboard. Sometimes you'll see guys like this and, and it's legit. And sometimes I, I just think sometimes the tackles, I don't think mock draft guys, even like your Todd McShay's, I don't think they have a feel for if you've got a good offensive tackle, if he doesn't have an injury history or just some kind of like work ethic or some kind of medical, you know what? He's going to go. There's so many teams whose offensive line make them look bad because they're just not the skill of 20 years ago. Guys that were coming out that had to block. It's just not happening the way in zone blocking in college with the spread offense, just pushing and shoving. There's not a lot of technicians coming out. So if a guy has has shown some technique or just has raw ability, especially at these big time schools like Georgia, where they just get just physical specimens because they're four and five stars. Andrew Thomas is sort of that guy. Why has the opinion of him dropped in the last? month or two. Well, I'd say part of the reason is scouts and really just the draft community in general don't especially focus on offensive linemen in particular during the college football and NFL seasons. It's much easier to watch film of a quarterback, a boundary player, or a defensive lineman. Breaking down the intricacies of offensive line play isn't something a lot of people do, especially when they're also trying to keep up with the games that are going on at the time. And so with Thomas, as you go back and you watch this tape, you see he struggles against speed off the edge, and that's a big worry in the NFL because almost every edge rusher has speed. His footwork gets sloppy when he's caught off guard, and that's really just the main issue. In the run game, he's devastating. You don't play three years at Georgia and be an All-American all three years unless you know how to block. He's amazing at that. He's got the right frame. He's got the strength, meanness to maul guys into the ground. There's some inconsistencies in his pass protection sets that have arisen as you go into a deep dive with him and the passing game is king in the NFL and so you want a tackle that's able to produce at the highest level in the passing game. I think he makes some really good points about how we put these guys under the microscope after the season and especially in the position they play it's not going to be perfect and if you're playing the SEC against so many good athletes but there's a lot of offensive line bust or underwhelming offensive line guys because they it just takes there's just more to it than the physical layout or whatever that being said the big question for me and Andrew Thomas is would he be here at 29 I don't think so you just look at the last five years I know Juwan Taylor and guys whatever but there were bigger issues about guys that essentially every team passes on there are bigger issues than what Andrew Thomas has this guy's 6'5 315 pounds he has more than 36 inch arms. Uh, This guy took, I don't know, 2,500 snaps in the SEC. He's not going to be here at 29. That's my firm thought. If he were, we would take him. What do you think? Do we have any chance to see him at 29? Oh, absolutely not. Just going back over it, I'm putting him in my notes. Top 15 player on my board. No way he drops past Tampa Bay at 14. Because if he's there in the teens, that means Becton, Wirfs, and Wills went ahead of him. So he's the fourth offensive lineman. Tampa Bay doesn't have a ton of holes. 
but is that offensive line. Andrew Thomas might be a bit of a reach there with some of his problems, but they'll reach on an offensive line because that's really the one position they need. They've got Tom Brady. They've got the weapons. They've got an ascending defense. Reach on an offensive line because that's the only thing you need. And Andrew Thomas, yeah, he might struggle in pass protection some, but he's got Pro Bowl and maybe even all pro potential. For you to get a guy like that at 14, you have to take that risk. Yeah, I think there's no question we'd take him to play right tackle. And Mel Kuyper has Andrew Thomas going 14th in the same vein as what you were saying. I don't understand Todd McShay. I don't want to hate on any of these guys, but I, sometimes I just do not understand like where he's coming from. I just, yeah, I mean, he could he could slip, but it's going to be in most years for something we don't know. And I just think there's going to be less intel this year. Put on the tape, the guys got the size and got the heart. We'll, we'll see. I don't think we'll get anywhere near him. But I did want to discuss him because. I think our fan base is going to kind of jump on that and say, oh, yeah, Andrew Thomas, blah, blah, blah. But I don't see it. Another guy that maybe two months ago I would have doubted we would see, but I, I don't think – I think he will be here. It's Iowa pass rusher A.J. Epineza. This guy looked really good at Iowa. He was a big-time recruit coming out. He had a terrible combine comparatively to what some of these guys do. Tell me what you know and what you like about A.J. Epineza. Well, with Epineza, he started as a top 10 player coming into the season. He's fallen into the early 20s for me. He's still in my top 25, but it's just more of a case of maxed out his explosiveness and athleticism. There's little tiny bits in terms of his footwork and get off that can be improved, but for the most part, physically, he's at where he's going to be long-term in the NFL. Now, he can get better with his pass rushing moves his anchoring against run defense but it's just more of a issue with upside because he's about what you want to be compared to a guy like Caleb on chase on he's not even close to his potential he's a much he's an infinitely better athlete off the edge and going back to what you said AJ Epinesa more of an interior defensive lineman a 3-4 defensive end is probably his best scheme fit and he's being hyped up as an edge rusher so a 3-4 outside linebacker a 4-3 end and he just doesn't really have the athleticism to hang on the outside but he has the power to hang on the inside yeah he's just strong guy 6'5 275 had 13 sacks in 2019 just did not show the athleticism and explosiveness but at that size the guy's got 34 and a half inch arms we mentioned that because they that's a thing that they really care about both sides of the line is reach a lot of connotation there he's a big guy and he could put on a little weight and kind of go inside especially depending on the scheme but just uh boy five second 40 yard dash only put up 17 reps um well we see a lot of guys especially certain positions you know that doesn't necessarily matter matter but usually the explosiveness of an edge rusher yeah I think this guy's gonna have to he's a good football player but I think he's gonna have to do his work maybe on the interior we'll see I could see him going to the right scheme and, and being a really good player I don't know that he fits what we need or want per se if he's here at 29 and I know a lot of that would depend on who else is there do you think this is a J-Rob guy oh absolutely he produced at a big time school great work that work ethic great character he fills a need that's been created by trading casey and even if he's doesn't have the ceiling of some of the guys we could draft he's got an established four he's a guy who could probably start right away and our defense wouldn't suffer from it with where we are at as a team we don't need to swing for the fences and try and find stars in the making we just can find guys that are above average play their role and don't hurt the team that's a hit for us at this point we've got the stars now it's just filling out the roster and just solidifying the holes that have been created through this offseason. So two guys had the Titans taking A.J. Epineza. 
RJ White of CBS Sports and Lance Cartelli of 24-7 Sports. Another guy you see on multiple mock drafts for the Titans is Jeff Gladney, the cornerback from TCU. And I know you personally think that we'll take a corner at 29, most likely. Now, obviously, it depends on a lot of things, but that's where you feel like we're most likely headed. Tell me why you think that. First of all, this obviously depends on, I think, if Logan Ryan comes back. If we bring back Ryan, we bring back our trio, maybe we just go straight up best player available or we trade back and get assets. But if we don't, we have a massive need. And with seeing a guy like Nikhil Roby Coleman, one of the better nickel corners in the league, going for one year, $2 million to Philly, we have, when we could easily pay him $5 million. it's just obvious that the front office isn't really targeting cornerbacks in free agency that aren't Logan Ryan. So it's obvious we want to develop guys inward through our process and not bring in outside players. I really think with the depth of corner in this draft, it's very likely one of the top five cornerbacks, a guy who would have been higher up on the board if he had been in last year's draft class, is there at 29. All the guys outside of Jeff Okuda and CJ Henderson, who both are going to go way before us, they fit our defensive scheme. They're all willing to tackle. They're all high character guys. And they just fit the kind of mold that J-Rob and Mike Brable want. Yeah, this guy fits with what our team, I think, usually looks for in a draft pick. Played a lot, was a leader at TCU. TCU weirdly has a lot of talented guys. It'd be kind of a, you see them over and over. It's kind of surprising to me they weren't better the last couple of years. But Gladney is five foot 10, 191 pounds, not a huge guy, has nearly 32 inch arms. He ran below a 4.5, which for me, 40 time is just, it just doesn't need to be slow. Pretty well. He looked the part. What do you think of Gladney specifically for us? And I would think he would be here for us. Is he... And he does seem like he'd be a good scheme fit, right? Oh, he fits absolutely. He's a, I think he's a great man corner. He loves, he's very willing to tackle. He would replace Logan Ryan in the slot. Ryan was a great tackler for us out of the secondary. Gladney can do that. What I really love about him is his ball skills and ability to make plays when the ball is in the air. He's elite at tracking the ball. Now, producing interceptions, finishing plays, he's lacking. He only had a couple interceptions the past two years, but he had 26 passes defended. So he's aware of the ball. He knows how to prevent the catch, but he just can't turn it into a turnover. And we've seen guys like Marlon Humphrey fix that problem where they go from not even be able to locate the ball to becoming one of the premier corners in the NFL. So with Gladney, really the only, my only question is, he's just a bit too slight for me. Like you said, only 5'10", 190. That's not going to get you killed in the NFL, but it's not a prototypical lockdown cornerback that can play with anybody. Like Stephon Gilmore, he can play with Mike Evans on the outside. Jeff Gladney, he's going to get bullied. He's going to Mike Evans is going to do to him what he did to us earlier this season. His only issue is a lack of size. Ultimately, I think that's what's going to keep Gladney out of the first round. I mean, you never know how it falls or who falls in love with him, but I think he's a little slight, but I think he's going to be a good NFL player. Two guys uh, from NFL.com, Charlie Castley and Charles Davis. You know, good guys, but I think a bit out of touch on things like this. They have Houston tackle Joshua Jones uh, falling to us at 29, which is about like Andrew Thomas. Just the appetite teams have for guys with the physical tools to play tackle in the NFL usually are not around unless they have some issue. They're not around at 29. Tell me what you know about Joshua Jones. He's a guy, kind of fits the J-Rob mentality, played a lot at Houston. He had offers coming out, bigger schools, played a lot and played really well against uh, American Athletic co- Competition. Just has like prototypical size. Any chance that we see Joshua Jones at 29? I think it's very possible. He's pretty raw in his technique. And for a tackle, I said earlier, strength is really important. But if you don't have technique, there's no way you're going to survive in the NFL. And he's really, his problems are the 
inverse of what Ezra Cleveland's are. With Cleveland, he's got the technique, but he's lacking the strength. With Josh Jones, physically, he's got everything you want in the offensive tackle. It's just the footwork, the arm placement, the hand usage. It's all just out. Of, it's just out of whack. He needs refinement. He would ideally redshirt his first year, sit behind Dennis Kelly, work on his technique, and then maybe year two, he pushes for a starting job. You throw him in year one, he's going to lose his confidence because teams are just going to work him over and over. But if you let him sit and develop, he's got you've got a good chance of creating an above average right tackle. Well, his run blocking improved, and that. That's the thing about our scheme is I think we're going to find a run blocker first and then let him become primarily a, a pass blocker. I mean, you saw Conklin struggles in, in pass blocking. This guy's a little bit of the opposite, although he finished well. He, he was primarily a good pass blocker, so I don't know if he's the right fit for us. But from a talent standpoint, I think we would take him if he's there. He's 6'5", 319. He's just got the, he's got the look. He dominated last year. I personally think we would take him. I don't think he will be here. He's not maybe the perfect scheme fit. But like you mentioned, we have Dennis Kelly. And I honestly, I, we all like Dennis Kelly. But I think we're going to pick a guy in these first three rounds for sure, I would say. And the idea is he could finish the season uh, as our starter. And Kelly can go back to his rotational stuff, playing some some third tackle on the field and off the field, being a tight end some, and just got kind of filling in for injury. Although Kelly's earned an entire year, could definitely play up to it. We're going to want one of these guys that, that can be playing real snaps at the end of the season. I could see Josh Jones kind of falling into that, but I just don't know with all the tackle needy teams that we've talked about him if he'll be around. Especially because Miami is sitting there at 26, three spots ahead of us. They desperately need offensive line help. They also have two first-round picks ahead of them, so maybe they address it there. But Josh Jones is certainly a bargain option for them if they want to go BPA at other positions and then just take a swing on Jones in the late first. If they're smart, that's what they'll do with those earlier picks. They'll take the best player available and then make sure whenever the run is, whichever those, uh, because they have three picks, like you said, the first round, that second or third pick, they'll pick a guy like this. So I I think that's why we're not going to see, you know, like a Thomas ever fall because I think Miami would would take one or or both. Uh, That's what they really need at this point after free agency and, and everything else. That's everybody that we've got on the major mock drafts. And so you know those names now, where they're from, kind of what the criticism of of these players is. Lucas Nang from TCU, another TCU guy. He plays tackle. You've been impressed with his tape. Played a long time at TCU, played well. He had a hip injury last year, and I I wonder, Landon, let's start with that. We're not going to be able to see if he's fully recovered, I think, just because of sort of the situation we're in where scouts aren't going to be able to, to get their eyes on these guys physically like they normally would. What do you like about Nang? What's his fit with the Titans? And what do you think about that hip injury? Well, with Nang, he's a natural right tackle. He's got the size and the strength and the technique to start right away, assuming he's healthy. Search Lucas Nyang on YouTube, press enter. There'll be a video. It says TCU O-line versus Ohio State 2018. Click on that and watch it. Nick Bosa and Chase Young are both playing that game. And Nyang goes one-on-one with Bosa a lot. Now, Chase Young beats him off the edge a lot with his speed. That's one of Yang's issues. Speed off the edge he can't really handle, but he holds his own a ton against Nick Bosa, who is obviously one of the best offensive players in the NFL just as a rookie and was even more dominant in college. So when healthy, he went toe-to-toe with Bosa and came out on top more often than not. This guy then, does kind of look like a Titan in the way that I mean, he got played almost 2,000 snaps in college. He reminds me a bit of our current right guard where his stance doesn't look great and it doesn't really look great when you do it, but he gets 
hits the job done six seven three twenty eight. But it looks more like well, boy, when he gets some NFL coaching, he's gonna he might need to ease in. I think we could offer him that. But I think this is a guy that you could see grow into right tackle before the end of the season. So I see why you like him. And this is a guy we should comfortably say is gonna be there right at twenty nine. Oh, absolutely. I would say he's in that tier of Josh Jones and Ezra Cleveland, but he's a right tackle, so I think his value will be pushed down a bit. And with his injury and the situation we have, teams are going to pretty much be in the dark. They can't meet with them. They can't see how recovered he is. I'm sure he's almost back to normal, but he was unable to participate in the combine. So we have no athletic testing. So it's pretty much a team sees his healthy tape. He see, they see his 2018 tape. They say, this is a guy we think can be our starting right tackle. We've talked to him over the phone in video chat. We think he's back to 100% health. And we're just going to take that risk. Now, here's another guy that you like, Zach Bond, the linebacker from Wisconsin. This guy had 13 sacks last season. And, of course, he rushed the passer primarily for Wisconsin. Redshirt senior, 6'2", just 238. The question, I think, for the Titans and a little less so for the rest of the NFL is where do you play him? We have two good off-ball linebackers. Um, a lot of people like David Long and maybe say eventually three. So think about a guy like this. If he didn't work as an edge rusher, we wouldn't have a lot of use for him. But this guy's really good. Zach Bond. Guys are going to hear a lot about him. He did really well at the Combine and just lit up the Big Ten last year. What do you like most about him and kind of describe him as a player? Well, I'm buying more into Zach Bond to us because it feels like we're trying to transition to a 4-3 defense. I feel like Vic Beasley, Jeffrey Simmons, and Harold Landry all fit better in a 4-3 as compared to a 3-4. And as a 4-3 outside linebacker, which I think is his most natural fit, Bond would be in the best position to utilize his strengths because he's stuck in between. He's not an off-ball linebacker, but he's not an every-down rushbacker. Like you said, he's got great speed. He's he's able to drop back in coverage. He can play zone relatively deep for an outside linebacker. He can rush off the edge. Right now, it's really just an outside counter when the tackle bites on his speed to the inside. And it's just the versatility and upside he brings because his pass rushing is really raw. He doesn't really have any moves, any handwork against the tackle to get himself in position. But his tackling, his speed, and just his versatility really would add another layer to the defense. Kind of think of what Kyle Van Noy was for the Patriots, where he's a guy you can trust to get pressure on the quarterback, but he can also drop back in coverage, play man, and you trust him to tackle in space. Yeah, I would think of him as like a more athletic Kyle Van Noy. I think a lot of perceptions that he'll eventually play inside a little. Maybe he'll do a little like the the Dante Hightower thing. Or I think what a lot of people kind of thought about Rashawn Evans, what he will eventually do, rush the pass or something, especially if we if we make a move and, and run more 4-3. I don't think it's going to be a thing where we say, hey, we're 4-3 now. I just think, as you see now, defenses, they, they do both now. So I just think you'll see more 4-3 out of us. It certainly looks that way with our, our personnel and the way it's changed the last few weeks. Zach Bond, I don't know if it's a perfect fit for us, but he is an interesting prospect. And we've seen even off-ball guys that are really athletic, can play multiple positions. Uh, we've seen these guys be taken a little higher than they were five years ago or so. So it'll be interesting to see his name and his tape just really stands out in his combine, really stood out. This guy ran a 4.65, and so when you do that and you have 13 sacks in the Big Ten, I just think you're going to get a lot of attention. Another guy you like, Trayvon Diggs, Alabama. This is Stefan Diggs' little brother. Initially at Alabama, he played some receiver, and he did a, lo- a lot of special teams and re- return work, but he's sort of settled as a corner. It's a big guy. 6'2", 200. What makes him make your list? He's a guy you don't see on first round mocks, but analytic guys 
if your brother or dad played. There's something about that. Do you do you think this is a guy that's going to rise up boards in the next month? I believe so. I was rewatching some tape versus LSU, and he he guarded Jamar Chase as physically and as aggressively as any quarter did that season. Now Chase worked him several times, but I think Chase is going to become a Julio Jones type receiver prospect. But it's just his combination of size, speed, and strength is really enticing because I think outside of Jeff Okuda, he's got the highest upside in this draft class because he's 6'1". He was a receiver that committed to Alabama. So you know he's got the athleticism to hang on the outside and he loves to play press man. That's what got him in trouble versus Chase because Chase kept shutting him. Against most receivers, Diggs has the length and the size to jostle with them and hang with them. And What's most interesting is he's only been playing cornerback for three years. Most of these guys have been playing it their whole life, and already he's a first-roundish level prospect. So we've seen with Adoree Jackson in particular, we know how to develop guys and really refine their technique. And if you take a guy who's already pretty good, and when you give him that coaching, then he can easily become elite. This is the kind of guy that I think at the end of the first round, you'll see teams sort of say, hey, the upside's there. He had three interceptions, which in the modern college football is a lot because you just don't see a lot of interceptions uh, in the college game or the NFL game either. So what's interesting to me is... uh, I don't like guys that aren't ball hawks, but you have to look for other ways for that because with the spread, the ball's just not in the air. They just take a lot more obvious stuff, um, not as much deep ball stuff. So there's not as many opportunities for these guys. But when when he had that opportunity, he looked ab- absolutely instinctive running towards the ball. Maybe that was his time on offense. This guy's got really long arms. He wasn't measured for the combine, but this guy's just got super long arms. He's kind of your prototypical look of kind of a modern corner, like you said, 6'2", 200. So you could see, like you said earlier, he could you could see him running with Mike Evans and guys like this. Some guys, they just don't have instincts. You worry about, well, man, that's high for a guy who didn't just show. But he's, like you said, not been playing the position. This is sort of a home run hit. He did stay for a senior season because that injury as a junior. He does seem like a J-Rod type player. I see him being here, but I see someone taking a chance at the end of the first round. Do you like him specifically? All the scouting says he needs to be on a press team. Uh, do you like the fit specifically for Diggs and the Titans? I like him a lot. I, I do like him a lot. He's shown the, the willingness to tackle you play at Alabama. Nick Saban is going to make you tackle. So he's going to fit our toughness. He's got great character. We played a good bit of man. That's what got us killed in the AFC Championship game because we had, I think, Tremaine Brock and Sammy Watkins. Brock just couldn't hold his own. But we trust our guys to play man-on-man, one-on-one. We trust Bayard over the top and Vaccaro over the top to help out. And we bring a lot of pressure and we utilize our great linebackers. And Diggs is that kind of guy, if he hits the ceiling, he's a guy you trust to leave on an island against another team's wide receiver one allowing you to focus on other parts of the offense. Now, we're down to your last two guys, and they're both defensive tackles. And we don't really know exactly how everything's going to play out, but it does look like because of Casey, we at least need some depth there. I could see this coming second, third, fourth fourth round if we get back in the fourth round. But you've seen J-Rob sort of, if the right guy is there, because everyone's going for like last year, exactly, the first two rounds, we sort of went for not our immediate needs per se. I could see us jumping in if the right guy's there. These two guys, I'm not as familiar with, but doing a little research, I mean, they they look like fine prospects. Neville Gallimore, who's the defensive tackle for Oklahoma. He's a redshirt senior, 6'2", 304. Had a good combat, ran a 4.79 at that size. So what what makes him make the list for you? Why do you want our listeners and Titans fans to kind of have this guy on on your radar? Gallimore's got 
a high floor and a high ceiling. His motor is one of the best in the draft class among defensive linemen. He plays every snap to the whistle. And that was an issue early on until this past season. He never played a full drive because he was always going all out and his conditioning wasn't quite there. This past season, his conditioning was improved. He played a lot more and he still his, and his motor still ran white hot every play. As a pass rusher, he's developing. He's got a pretty good swim move for a guy who's pretty raw. He's got the athleticism and the agility for a big man on the inside to create pressure and gaps. But the issue with him is, like you said, only 6'2", 300. He lacks the leverage and strength to really make an impact on the interior. And you would like to see a guy, especially in the Big 12, make more of an impact. Like The Big 12 offensive line, they're just pushing him around on run plays. He can't maintain leverage. He's too short. He doesn't play with the right footwork. Just his potential, if you can teach him to play lower to the ground like Aaron Donald does. Aaron Donald is smaller, but he's so much stronger. He's better because he gets low and gets under offensive linemen. You teach Gallimore to do that. You get him to a better anchor against the run. You help hone his pass rushing ability. And you've got a pretty good one-two punch with Gallimore and Jeffrey Simmons on the interior. Now, in your heart of hearts, where do you expect him to go in the draft? Gallimore, I would probably say the later 30s, just because of his rawness. And if he doesn't work out, I think he is going to end up being an Austin Johnson type rotational defensive lineman who is okay. But I'm scarred by Austin Johnson at this point. So I don't, so I can see why we would be, if we would be apprehensive of taking a guy like Gallimore. Well, the next guy is similar. Another big 12 defensive lineman, Ross Blacklock, TCU again. Six foot three, two ninety, did well at the combine. Athletic. His dad is the coach of the Harlem Globetrotters, and this guy has a basketball background. This is a guy that you could see like a drill Casey up. Not real big, six three, two ninety, but he could be a really good pass rusher from the interior if he gets a little coaching, right? Oh, absolutely, that's his selling point. It's pass rushing. That's what our defense needs the most. I like his. I really like his get off, his footwork off the snap. His hand usage could get better, but it's pretty solid at this point. His strength fighting through blocks. Now in the run game, he's below average and that's worrisome for a defensive tackle. But I think with our defense, that effect can be mitigated. Our run defense was great. We stopped the best running team in the past 40 years in the playoffs with it. But against the Chiefs, our lack of pass rush showed our defense wasn't good enough. And with Blacklock, yeah, you're sacrificing run defense, but you're adding pass rushing upside. And pass rushing is most important. And Jeffrey Simmons on the interior next to him is a bit of the opposite. I like him much more against the run than I do in against the pass at the moment. So those two can really complement each other and feed off each other's strengths and weaknesses. It would be interesting if they doubled down on Jeffrey Simmons and said, hey, let's bring another young guy in. Wow, we'll see. These guys, could we could see them there. The purpose, of course, tonight was when you read these mock drafts, to first of all, know who some of these guys are. And second of all, to kind of get Landon's thoughts on, are these guys really a fit for the Titans? And B, are they going to be there? There's a bunch of other prospects we'll be talking about. We'll do a seven-round mock like we did last year. We're going to do a review of last year's draft like we did last spring got a lot of comment. We're going to try to do position by position, especially with our positions in need. You can tell by Landon thinks we need a, another interior defender. We obviously need a tackle, a corner, probably another receiver, maybe even a running back. So we've got a lot of really interesting prospects to go over. Glad that you joined us. Hope everybody is well. We'll see you soon. Tighten up.